well, it's my privilege to not only bring the Word of God to you here today, but also be voted in as a member. I am no longer a guest preacher as of <laughs> 10 minutes ago, but now I am one of our own. So praise God for that. Uh, turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Luke. We'll be in Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, and I'll be preaching through uh, verses 67 through the end of the chapter, verse 80. Uh, But to get a running head start and to get some context, uh, we shall read starting from verse 57. And so, uh, I don't know if it's a custom here, but I think it should be fitting. Uh, Please stand with me for the reading of God's word. Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 57. And this is God's word. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him Zechariah after his father. But his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. And they said to her, None of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father, inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, His name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed and he spoke, blessing God. And fear came on all their neighbors. And all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who were who heard them, laid them up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people, and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David." as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all of our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people, and in the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, And he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. Thus reads the very word of the living God. You may have a seat. What makes recounting old stories so fond and memorable for people? I would venture to guess that it's more than the retelling of an old tale, but rather there is an attachment uh, to a time of great significance because of how life-shaping, how permanent 
that experience was. Uh, War stories, fond times with friends, uh, and probably most importantly of all, the moment when Christ and the gospel became precious to us. Uh, Older saints in particular uh, love to think on these stories. Uh, Memories have become precious for our older saints uh, because there's so much life to reflect on. There's so much to thank God for. Uh, And in the most serious way possible, I think it would do us younger saints good uh, to heed and listen to the stories of God's faithfulness from the old. Uh, Zechariah was this kind of older saint. Uh, He was a man who walked with the Lord in service of him in the line of Levi, which is the lineage of the priesthood. In his appointed time, he would make his way up to Jerusalem, uh, where the temple was located, to perform his duties. And before entering the temple, he would consecrate himself. Uh, He would wash himself to ensure that he was ceremonially clean before the Lord as per the rules and regulations spelt out for him and his kin in the book of Leviticus. He would then enter the holy place of the temple. And he would burn incense on behalf of the people. He would lead those who would visit the temple in prayer and worship, teaching them to observe everything the Lord has commanded them. And he would make appropriate offerings of uh, burnt, grant, peace, sin, and or guilt offerings on behalf of himself and the people. And once a year around the month of September, Zacharias would aid the high priest uh, by preparing the necessary vessels and a spotless lamb. And he would have, might have uh, held the rope tied between the waist of the high priest as this high priest would carefully and with great trepidation move beyond that heavy curtain, that veil that encompassed the holiest place, the holy of holies where the Ark of the Covenant and uh, the real and living presence of Yahweh dwelt. And Zechariah would faithfully perform his duties. And he he would anticipate Yom Kippur every year not because it would do anything efficacious, but because Zechariah understood that the blood of bulls and goats would never, could never permanently atone for the sins of man. But rather he would anticipate the fact that since the blood of bulls and goats could not atone, they pointed forward to something rather than, rather someone greater All of the sacrifices Zacharias offered would point him and many others to the Son of Man, the Lamb of God who would actually take away the sins of the world. Zechariah would perform his duties day after day, week after week, year after year, faithfully. He had his sweet wife Elizabeth faithfully with equal dutifulness waiting for him at home in the hill country of Judea until her husband returned home after his cycles of duties were complete. And for years, for decades, it would just be the two of them. 
Elizabeth would be at home keeping and guarding her home as any Proverbs 31 woman would, but she would do so alone. And this would continue with no seeming end in sight. And I am sure both Zechariah and Elizabeth wondered, they questioned to themselves, they prayed to God, asking, how long, O Lord? And that question would be asked with two horizons in mind, uh, one more immediate and pressing because they were without children. Uh, They knew the stories of God blessing the barren and the childless because they knew that nothing was impossible with God. Uh, But more importantly, they would They would long and they would ask with a further horizon in mind, how long, O Lord, will your people Israel suffer and languish? Uh, For since they knew that because nothing was impossible with God, um, a Savior, a Messiah is promised and He will come to deliver His people. Uh, Luke chapter 1 verse 8 reads this. Now, while he was serving as priest before God when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord. Day after day, week after week, year after year, Year, Zechariah faithfully served the Lord. And in one unexpected moment, Zechariah's faith waned. His faith waned. After all of this waiting, his faith waned. Is what is being spoken of by the angel of the Lord actually true? How do I know? He painfully asked. The Lord muted Zechariah, so he would wait a little bit more to hold his tongue and just witness. For now is the appointed time for the Lord to act, and Zechariah would have a front row seat to both the promised birth of the forerunner, a promised son to this barren family, but more importantly, Zechariah would be privileged to witness, to have a front row seat, the promised birth of the Savior, whose name is Jesus. His son would be named John because God has given him that name to highlight God's grace as his name means God is gracious. It would fit perfectly his role because his son would be called to herald God's grace as God's grace incarnate has come. Our text today, Luke chapter 1, verses 67 to 80 as this older saint recounting God's grace at the birth of his son, whose namesake reflects upon. Uh, We will see this older saint, Zechariah, share stories of God's gracious dealings with his people from the beginning of the Old Testament to the end of the Old Testament. Zechariah will sing over his son. He will delineate to him his role as the forerunner. But more importantly, he will teach his son and he will remind us that God's mercy surely has not ceased and they never will. God's mercy has not ceased and it will never will. God will keep his promises as his grace has not run dry. 
But for Zechariah, a man full of renewed faith proclaims that with the birth of his son John, it is the beginning of the end. The long-awaited Messiah, the long-awaited Savior has come. And so we'll look at Zechariah's song of God's mercy in just two parts. Uh, First by looking behind uh, God's mercy held fast in the past. And second, we'll, we'll be looking forward, particularly in the coming ministries in the future, that God's mercies remain fast today. And so the first part is just God's mercy held fast in the past. And that's verses 67 through 75. God's mercy held fast in the past. And second, God's mercy holds fast today. Verses 76 to the end to verse 80. So let's look at verse 67. God's mercy held fast in the past. Uh, Luke clearly indicates here that it is the filling of the Holy Spirit that enabled Zechariah to prophesy concerning his son. Uh, But even before doing so, uh, Zechariah cannot but help first recount God's mercy. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. This should be a familiar phrase to any Jew with a good handle of the Old Testament. Uh, To call upon blessing is to extol, to lift up. Uh, The recipient of this exaltation is none other than Yahweh Elohim, the Lord God himself, the God who is the God of Israel. This designation uh, was used in the past by kings of Israel, kings of surrounding nations even, to speak of of the favor of God upon Israel. Uh, 2 Chronicles 2.12 says, Hiram, king of Tyre, continued, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, who has made heaven and earth, who has given King David a wise son, and endowed with discretion and understanding, who will build a house for the Lord and a royal palace for himself. Zechariah uh, was a man who knew and treasured his Old Testament uh, because he moves immediately from this blessing uh, to giving reasons why giving reasons why that Yahweh, the God of Israel, must, should be blessed. He says, for he has visited and redeemed his people. Uh, That term visited, uh, for the Jew, should be so familiar, so precious. Uh, The term has implications of going out of one's way to see the hurting and the sick. Uh, The term is drenched in mercy and ties us when God in the Old Testament would be concerned and he would visit his people in distress. The term would single-handedly invoke memories, emotions for the Jews as they gathered together during Shabbat, during the Sabbath, uh, and they would remember God's act of salvation during the exodus from Egypt. Uh, Exodus 4.31 borrows upon this same term, and he says that, So the people believed, and when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and that he had seen their affliction, then they bowed low in worship. This day of visitation would echo and reverberate throughout the Old Testament scriptures as the Exodus event would be recounted again and again and again as the chief example of God's mercy. Uh, his divine compassion upon helpless sinners to deliver them from bondage. Uh, The Exodus Exodus event would be the prima facie example of redemption of the sinner from bondage, the physical picture that points us forward to the coming spiritual reality. And so Zechariah ties together God's mercy and visitation to accomplish redemption 
for his people because that is part and parcel of God's character. When God visits ailing sinners, you can fully expect God to do something about said ailments. Oftentimes for us, the, the best thing we can do when we do, in our, when we do visit our people, when we visit hurting people, is to bring them before the throne of grace in prayer. And, and it's like, it is the only the best thing we can do because like those faithful friends who uh, brought the paralytic to the feet of Jesus by lowering him through the roof uh, in Peter's home, the, oftentimes the best our help amounts to is just by bringing the hurting to the great help of the helpless. But this is why Zechariah speaks in the past tense and says that God has already accomplished redemption for his people because he understood the time is now, that the Redeemer himself has come and redemption is as good as accomplished because God cannot fail as he does not lie. His visitation begets redemption. Zechariah is so confident in this redemption that he's saying that it is as good as done. Do you see God's mercy in this way? That all of those previous times God has visited you, whether in his word or through the means of your brothers and sisters, do you know that you have a near and merciful Savior, merciful God who is more than eager to comfort? This is the very heart of God. As Hebrew puts it, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. We have a merciful God who is able to sympathize, whose visitations are more than just lip service, but he brings with him a a very real, a very tangible, soul-satisfying ministry to our souls. Zechariah continues by illustrating this accomplished redemption that he, he says that God has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of David, his servant. Uh, the image of a horn is an image of strength, of vitality, of fighting spirit. The horn is raised and blown when armies enter into battle and it is the rallying cry for that army to charge. Uh, here, this horn is the horn of salvation. Meaning when this horn is raised, when this horn is blown, salvation or deliverance has come. Zechariah is explaining that through this visitation, this advent of God, salvation has come. To give you an illustration, uh, in J.R.R. Tolkien's Twin Towers, many of you are familiar familiar with Lord of the Rings, uh, you remember when Aragorn and the Knights of Rohan are encamped themselves in the ancient fortress of Helm's Deep, um, Saruman, the wicked wizard Presta and his armies of orcs press upon Helm's Deep. And you remember that scene when one of the orcs charges with that torch in his hand and he runs through that weak part of the fortress, that sewer, and he breaches the gate. And all these hordes of orcs flood in to overwhelm the heroes. And with their backs against the wall, uh, Aragorn turns and looks at King Theoden and he says, let us rise out in a blaze of glory instead of cowering in fear and dying here. And, and then the dwarf Gimli, the little guy, uh, says that the sun is rising. And in that moment, Aragorn remembers the words of Gandalf, at light on the fifth day, at dawn look east. 
And so Gimli runs up the tower where the horn lies, and he sounds the horn, and uh, he sounds the alarm of victory uh, to muster up courage one last time. Uh, as the walls of the throne room break down, Aragorn and the king and the knights, they all charge out, and they push the orcs back onto the battlefield outside. And Gimli continues to blow that horn and continues to blow. And the camera pans, and Aragorn looks off to the east, looks off to the crest of that valley. And he sees the white rider Gandalf. And with the arrival of Gandalf and the riders of Rohan, deliverance has come. Salvation has come. And the horn that Gimli continued to sound is now sounding of salvation. And this is kind of the imagery Zechariah is painting for us when he speaks of the horn of salvation in the house of his servant David. The kingly line has not surely departed as God has come to visit and thereby deliver his people. At the most bleakest moment, the Jews under the thumb of the Roman Empire, but even before, even before that, as they languished in the bondage of sin, Zechariah looks at the birth of his son as the the dawn of the, the first beams of the sun on high coming. Through God's mercy, the culmination of salvation history is now upon them. He explains, he continues to explain that furthermore, that this salvation was spoken by by the mouth of the prophets of old. Uh, This moment of triumph is depicted through military imagery and is connected with all these previous Old Testament prophecies speaking about God's Messiah. He quotes Psalm 106, which is a song of remembrance of God's loving kindness to Israel during the Exodus. That Israel served as Israel sojourns through a land that is promised to them by God, the people there are very, still very antagonistic towards them. And that in the context of conquest and the, of the promised land, the, the psalmist sings of salvation from the hands of Israel's enemies. And Zacharias equates that he sees this same kind of salvation occurring here now in a more fuller and more tangible sense because the Lord has truly come in the flesh to visit his people in distress. All this is done, Zechariah explains, uh, to show mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. That God in ages past revealed himself to a pagan moon worshiper from Ur. And his name was Abram. He promised Abram that from Abram a great nation shall come forth. And that nation will be a blessing to all other nations. God further promised that he will bless those who bless him and curse those who curse him. Therefore, from this first covenant, commonly known as the Abrahamic covenant, God has set his divine protection, his divine favor, his divine mercy upon a people that had nothing to prove to God. Abram was not a man that was more unique than all the rest. He worshiped idols. He was a moon worshiper. But God saved Abram. And Abram believed God. Abram believed God in these promises. And God counted it to him as righteousness. So that everyone else who would walk in the same faith, the same, same path of faith, the same path of righteousness as Abram did, would be of the same lineage. For Israel, this, this faith would result in God protecting his people and guarding his promise. 
That's why Zechariah, again, links back to deliverance from the hand of our enemies. Because God certainly has not forgotten nor has abandoned his promises. But rather will guard and keep his covenant in people until all of his promises are fulfilled. Zechariah recognizes the hand, in all, the hand of God in all this. And he reminds us that the only res- right response to God's mercy, the only right response to deliverance from our enemies is that we would serve him without fear. Serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all of our days. Here, you have the confidence in our service. You have the qualities of our service that we would do so in holiness and righteousness, heeding what God has commanded us to do. Uh, here you have the sphere and scope of our service, that we would serve, bef- serve before God and God alone, not for other gods, not for the approval of man. And you have the duration of our service, all of our days, all of our lives. After tasting and seeing and experiencing the mercy of God, our response is that we would serve him with great confidence, with all of our being, for all of our lives. Heritage Baptist Church, all of your serving, all of your devotion must be directly linked with who you know God to be. God in the right time has revealed himself to you. Uh, Maybe not in the same way he did to Zechariah or Abraham, but he has opened your spiritual eyes to see him for who he is and to understand who you are in return. God has replaced your heart of stone and given you a heart of flesh in the newness of your life. And that you respond and you recognize that you are a sinner before a holy God. That the only right response is to cry out, have mercy on me, a sinner. And there, God meets you. He meets you in mercy. There, you have Christ on the cross. Christ on the cross is that beautiful picture, perfect picture of mercy that you did not know you needed, but you are eternally grateful that now you have received. Service, then, must be the overflow, the outflow of your gratitude towards the mercy of God. So when it seems like your service has grown routine, when it seems like your affections have grown cold, remember and reflect on the mercy of God in your past. Look to Scripture and see that God's mercy held fast for stubborn, rebellious sinners like Israel. And so in the same exact way, God's mercy holds fast for the same stubborn, rebellious sins of yourself. But take heart, there is even more encouragement. Because God's mercy does not relegate itself to the past, but it perseveres and it holds fast to the day and into eternity tomorrow. That brings us to our second half of our text. God's mercy holds fast today. Zechariah now turns to address his son. 
And I hope you've picked up by now that although John the Baptist is being addressed here, that he is the next Elijah, so to speak. He's the second to last prophet of God before the true prophet of God comes. Uh, John the Baptist is not the point of the text. Zacharias, his son, will be a prophet. And prophets were spokesmen of God. And time after time in the Old Testament, you will read something along these lines, and the word of the Lord came to. And the word of the Lord came to. And these were men who were chosen by God, not because of their pedigree, not because of their position. God's used men from all over the socioeconomic stratosphere of Israel for his purposes. You have well-known and beloved prophets like Elijah and Isaiah. And there were hated prophets at their time, like Jeremiah and Ezekiel. And there were obedient prophets, like Hosea and Micah. And you have disobedient prophets, like Jonah. But the purpose of being the prophet of the Lord is to speak the Lord's words, uh, to bring forth, to herald, to announce the word of the Lord to the people of the Lord. And so let me fast forward us today. We believe that the prophetic ministry of God has ceased in the sense that there is no new revelation of Scripture. Because as Peter writes, we have a word, uh, Scripture, more sure than any kind of sign gift, any kind of prophetic utterance, as he says that it's even more sure than him seeing the transfigured Christ. However, whenever a man of God arises to bring forth the Word of God, That is likened to a descendant, so to speak, of the prophetic ministry of God. There is a prophetic dimension to pastoral ministry that we should give serious heed to. Not because the pastor is trying to predict the future or telling you how to live your best life now, no. But rather, he is heralding the word of God. He is announcing it to the people of God. And so we, as the people of God, must respond to the heralding of God's word. Why? As Paul says, we preach or we herald Christ. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Preaching is prophetic ministry because it announces, it describes, it delineates, it demonstrates the person of Jesus Christ. From the very first Old Testament prophet uh, prophet named Noah uh, to our commonly beloved Old Testament prophets like Isaiah, Jeremiah, and now to this newborn son who would be named John, what all of the prophets of old and of new share in common? They all in one form or another announce Christ. The second half of verse 76 says that John will go before to prepare his ways. This is a direct reference to Isaiah 40. But this is still describing a, every single, every single prophetic ministry. When the pastor preaches, he is preparing the way for Christ. He is carving out the path. He is sweeping away all the distractions in men's hearts and saying, here is Jesus This is God's beloved son. Listen to him. And you, congregation of God, church of God, 
You might not be preaching in front of the church week after week, but every time you present Christ, every time you share the gospel, every time you engage in evangelism, you are heralding Christ. You are announcing the good tidings, the good news that he brings, that God and man can now be reconciled because of his atoning works. Husbands, you are charged with bringing Christ, announcing Christ to your families. Mothers, likewise, you are charged with announcing and teaching Christ to your children. If you engage in meaningful, gainful employment, you are called in your workplaces to be the prophet of God, to announce Christ to your coworkers and to your bosses. If you are a student, you are called to be beacons for Christ, to prophetically share Christ with your classmates and with your professors. Because of Christ, because of Christ, we all, we all now share in this prophetic ministry. Zechariah describes further the role of the prophet, what his son will do for the Lord. And, and I hope you pick up on the similarity of our role as the church when we go out in the Great Commission. And he says that we, uh, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. Prophets announce God's salvation to God's people. Salvation has come. Salvation from what? Our sins. Salvation through what? Forgiveness. This is the gospel message. The good news of Jesus Christ is that sinful man can be reconciled, can be restored, born again, made new before a holy and righteous God. How? Because this holy, righteous God and holy and righteous love forgives sins. God says in Hosea 4.6, my people are destroyed or my people die for lack of knowledge. Because people have rejected knowledge or they have rejected knowing God, they have rejected having this clear, vibrant, intimate relationship with God, they perish. People do not know that Christ loves them far beyond they know. People do not know that the repenting of sin and receiving forgiveness through God, through Christ, is far better than coddling, than uh, allowing sin to live. People do not know that Christ's offer of salvation through faith in him is completely free and requires absolutely nothing on their end. People do not know that Jesus and prophets, John the Baptist, we the church, we are called to herald, to announce, to call others to repentance because Jesus is worthy. Jesus is worthy, not just because he has come to forgive sins, but because he can forgive sins. He is God of God, God truly God, the great I am, the Prince of Peace, our wonderful counselor, Lord of Lords, King of Kings. Jesus is worthy of this knowing, worthy of this knowledge. Jesus is worthy of this praise. And that is the ultimate end in which you engage in your prophetic gospel ministry in your day-to-day lives. You engage in a work. You engage in a calling that far exceeds yourself. When you herald Christ through the gospel, you enter into the realm of divine obligation. 
You engage in a proclamation that far exceeds any other kind of earthly COVID news. Because you step in line with all the prophets of old and say, thus saith the Lord, believe on Jesus and be saved. Verse 77 describes salvation coming from what? Knowledge of God. Salvation coming through what? Forgiveness of sins. And verse 78 moves to bring us back around. Salvation comes because of what? The mercy of God. The mercy of God. We've reached our main theme again. God's tender care and affection, seeing our poor and destitute state has condescended and has reached down, has moved to save. I want you to notice that Zechariah adds a, an adjective here, tender. And I think our English term only does a, about a halfway job capturing the entire force of the term. Splachna the gut emotions of a person. Uh, Literally meaning the inward parts of a person. It refers to that stomach-churning, heart-wrenching, heart-aching emotion that you feel towards someone whom you love. Uh, When your child is hurt and you have to take them to the ER, This term is describing that same near desperate emotion you feel when you know that your child's life is entirely in the hands of the doctor and of God. God feels that. But at the same time, he is also in total control. God's mercy is described with the same desperation as a mother, as a mother has when she's at the bedside of her child pleading to God but his mercy is still in absolute control. God's mercy is efficacious. God's mercy accomplishes what it sets itself out to do. God's mercy is tenacious. Uh, Once it is set upon, once it finds itself upon the hurting sinner, uh, it will never cease. Lamentations 3.23 says it's new every morning. God's mercy is also infectious. God's mercy cannot help but transmit itself from one ailing sinner to another. Christians cannot help but to describe the great mercy of God in their lives when they first believed in Christ. That is why testimonies, your testimony, is so powerful. And lastly, God's mercy is continuous. It is limitless. It is boundless and free. God's mercy holds you fast as it did for Zechariah and Elizabeth. It held them fast when they were at their most desperate state. And it holds you, O child of God, fast when your faith may fail. Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby, whereby, here's a term that isn't often used in our common English language, but essentially means by what means, by what means. What is the means that God's mercy will come to his people in the forgiveness of their sins? And he says, by the means of the sunrise shall visit us from on high. What Zechariah is saying here is that through the sunrise, the mercy of God comes. How does that work? 
As I mentioned before, Lamentations 3, 22 and 23 is a precious verse to many of you. I'm sure many of you know. Uh, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercy never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Uh, but this term sunrise is explicitly used here. Uh, turn with me to Malachi chapter 4, the last chapter of your Old Testament. Here at the close of the Old Testament, uh, perhaps maybe when Israel is in their darkest moments, one final prophetic utterance is given before 400 years of prophetic silence. Malachi chapter 4, we'll just read verses 1 and 2. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day of the Lord that is coming shall set them ablaze, says Yahweh of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. Here at the sunset of the Old Testament, a promise is given that there will be light once more. The Son of God shall rise with healing on his wings and bring light once more to his people. Zechariah was a man who knew and loved his Bible. He knew this verse very well because his Bible ended there. And as grim as the ending was, uh, Zechariah held on to this final promise from Yahweh that something, no, someone better is coming. And here we are, Zacharias, a man whose faith slipped in one unexpected moment with the angel, is renewed and full of faith once more. He, by the Holy Spirit, made the connection that this final Old Testament promise of the coming Messiah is referring to what he is seeing and what he is experiencing right now. Zacharias, a man full of renewed faith, is identifying that now, now is the time for God to act. Now is the time that he and with many more believers will once more behold the mercy of God, that truly God's mercy has not ceased, but it has held fast. Although God gave no prophetic word for 400 years, God has neither left nor forgotten his people. The book of Malachi closes with one last promise. And Zechariah knew that this promise of old is the opening fulfillment of the new. The angel said to him, if you turn back, the angel told him, Elijah, the prophet before the great and awesome day of Yahweh comes, and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. And so the angel here is quoting the last words of Malachi concerning this Elijah. And so when the angel of the Lord appeared to Zacharias, he announced that he will go before him in spirit and in power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Although Zacharias' faith waned for that moment. Uh, 
he now understands clearly that his son has a distinct role to play in salvation history, that his son has a direct connection and role with the coming mercy of God. Zacharias knew that it is now. The dawn is coming. Those first beams of Christ's glorious light are coming, and they are breaking through the deep darkness of man's hearts. Zechariah knew that it is now. That light, the light of the world, is coming. And all of us rejoice because before Christ, it is as Zechariah says in verse 79, that we all sat in darkness in the shadow of death. We all sat in deep darkness without hope in the shadow of knowing that someday that shadow will be given to full, given to full form and we will die. Zechariah knew that the sun on high will pierce that night. Now we can see clearly back to the way of God back to the way of peace, to guide our feet into the way of peace, Zechariah describes it. Zechariah concludes his song, this song of unexpected yet completely expected mercy with the rich and precious truth that Christ, the Son of God, has come and his warm beams of light can and will draw men back to God, that men will experience the warmth of Christ's light and they will see the path Back to God, illuminated back to God. And Zechariah sings all this because God's mercy is so great. His mercy never ceases and it holds fast even till today. Even until today. God's mercy still holds fast. Because as Christ illumines that path for men to return to God, men will first pass by that hill where that old and rugged cross stands. And as long as that cross stands, we all know that God's mercy still stands. As Jesus on that cross in his last final gasping breaths proclaims, it is finished. The way of peace is made complete. Christ will come to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death by going through first that darkness himself and tasting death for those who absolutely deserve it. And this mercy, uh, this is the mercy at its highest, most richest, most complete form. The Son of God would die on behalf of ruined, wretched sinners so that they may be reconciled to God. And the child grew, became strong in spirit. He was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. Praise God for his great mercy. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we know that without Christ, without this explicit, tangible, physical demonstration of your mercy, Christ, we would be without hope. And yet, Lord, here we are, uh, Lord, that you have called us, that you have embraced us, and you have adopted us to become sons and daughters, heirs, co-heirs with Christ. And so, Lord, may the mercy of God never grow dull in our hearts. May the gospel be ever-present on our lips. Lord, help us to love and treasure Christ more than he's ever 
been loved or treasured in our lives. We ask all these things in his majestic, matchless, lovely name. Amen.